Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. The focus right now, understandably, is on COVID and on getting back to work and getting eventually out of COVID. But the imperative around the environment and sustainability never went away. It kept going. Just our focus wasn't there. It's time for us to shift that focus back and to get very serious about the next level of sustainability that we can do in real estate. And that's why I'm particularly glad to have Brad Doxer in the uh, virtual studio with me here today. Uh, he is the co-founder and the CEO of Green Generation and has long been a strong voice for intelligent real estate practices that also are green. So thank you, Brad, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Connor, it's a pleasure to be here. This is my first podcast here in the um, AFIRE podcast studio, so I'm really excited to be here. Which doesn't really exist, just so everyone knows. There is no studio. It's just us talking over a computer link. Um, why don't we start this by just having you kind of give an overview for the, the very few people that are still out there who don't know what Green Generation is and what you're doing in the commercial real estate industry. Yeah, so, you know, first of all, you know, thanks for having me. It's interesting because I want to go back just for a little bit to our history to give the context for what we do. I started my career in the real estate investment world. I started at JMB. I was at Starwood Capital for nearly a decade and founded Starwood's international business in Asia and Europe. And I say that really just to make the point that historically our industry cared primarily about top line, rents, market, occupancy. And we didn't think much about expenses. And then 2008 came along and our top lines collapsed. And we began to look at every part of the income statement for a way to mitigate this collapse of cash flow and came to this understanding that energy was a much bigger line item than we ever imagined. It was more controllable than we realized. And technology had become much more powerful. And so there was an interesting ROI-driven opportunity around integrating technology into the built environment to reduce your costs increase your cash flow and your asset values. And the good news is that if you did this correctly, you also were able to generate co-benefits of resiliency and sustainability. Um, but at the time, there was really nobody doing this the way that investors wanted. And so when we realized there was an opportunity, but nobody was seizing it, seizing it in a way that the investment community understood, my wife and I, who had met at JMB, founded this firm uh, in May of 2011, so nearly 10 years ago. And from the beginning, we understood that if you did this right, you could drive both a financial outcome, but also have climate and ESG outcomes at the same time. It was a false choice to think about either investing for climate or investing to drive the value asset, that you could actually do both. And so we've set up a firm, we've organized a firm that really understands how to invest in an asset to drive multiple outcomes. 
I love how the, the, the first instinct for a lot of people is to look at this as a, within the context of a false choice, which is either we're going to do this efficiently from a money standpoint and be profitable, or we'll take care of the planet. Um, and, and it seems that you've had such a good time over the last 10 years kind of poking holes in that, that specious argument. You know, I, I don't know if I would say we've poked holes in it. I think that we approached it just differently. We approached it the way investors do. One of my great frustrations, just to sort of bring it forward for a moment, is that everybody talks about the cost of investing in climate, the cost of mitigating uh, climate change. And even at the political level, we talk about how much this plan or that plan costs. What we never seem to be able to do is get to the second half of the sentence and basically say it costs X and it creates this outcome. You know, it costs this, but here's the return. We get so caught up on the headline cost number that we never get to the benefits. And that, you know, as a, as a finance person, as a real estate person, that seems really backwards because it's always about ROI, return on investment. But we only seem to talk about the investment part without getting to the return part. Where do you think companies need to focus now uh, when it comes to sustainability? You know, it's a very timely question because that answer today, I think, is very different than what that answer would have been a couple of years ago. Today, people are recognizing a couple of things. If you do this right, it, no, it unquestionably increases the value of your asset because you're able to reduce operating costs, leaving lease structure aside, you increase the EBITDA and the asset values. Um, and so there was always an operational uh, motive for doing this. But now there's a second one. That is the capital market side. Today, the people that weren't already doing this because it was simply a financially smart thing to do are driven by basically the fear of getting shut out from the capital markets. If you invest capital and nearly everybody that is a member of AFIRE and that's in your audience is raising money from somebody. Those somebodies, those LPs, are basically saying today, if you don't have a strategy that addresses climate, if you don't have an ESG strategy, if ESG is not embedded in your process from acquisition to financing to hold to disposition, you're not getting our money. On the equity side, it really is about access to capital. On the debt side, I don't think people are going to be getting shut out from debt capital markets today, but they unquestionably are going to get better terms by having an ESG strategy integrated. So they're either going to get more proceeds, you know, the Fannie and Freddie, you know, supplemental um, as an example, or they're going to get a lower cost of capital. The idea behind green financing, green bonds, is that for the same project, the same borrower, if it's linked to ESG or UN Sustainable Development Goals, things that society and investors believe are important, then you're going to see a lower cost of capital. And that could be a couple of basis points. It could be a more substantial amount. How, how do you think people, if, if there were one thing that, that people get wrong or a, a way of thinking that, that gets them in trouble when approaching this? Because I, I, I doubt there's anyone within my world that doesn't say, yeah, 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 ESG is important. We're going to focus in on it. What is it that they, they miss, they do wrong? I, there's a couple of things. One, you know, real, the real estate industry moves a lot faster than it did several decades ago. You know, so today 
you're doing a best and final. You put your bid in on Friday. You get notified Friday. You sign a pre-agreed purchase and sale agreement over the weekend. You have five, six, seven days to do due diligence. And at that point, basically, deal teams are looking for fewer things to do, not more. And so the notion of having an ESG checklist, of thinking about climate, thinking about regulatory risk, is not something that they're going to go to naturally. They also don't necessarily connect it to a positive return. They don't see how it generates asset value and it generates fees and promote. And they don't necessarily see how it improves their access to capital. At the same time, there's all this regulation out there that is changing month by month, year by year, that is basically going to be requiring owners to be doing things that they weren't doing in the past. Um, today, you've got cities and countries that basically are requiring that you have a 50% reduction by 2030. That doesn't happen by itself. You need to have a strategy. You need to take the energy plan and integrate it into the business plan. You need to make sure that money and capital is available for doing those things. Um, but I think the most fundamental issue is that people still approach climate and ESG and sustainability more as a cost than as a driver of value. In New York City, the Local Law 97 legislation, which is the most recent recent iteration of climate uh, legislation for the built environment in New York, most owners approach it as, how much is this going to cost me? They don't approach it as, how will this drive the value of my asset? This will create winners and losers. Or it may shut me my asset out from the market. I may not be able to lease it occupy it. It may become a stranded asset. And I just think people tend to approach this in a very narrow perspective. I think the other big thing that I see is missing is really a broad definition of return. People tend to think just about electricity. They don't think about water, gas, steam. They don't think about labor optimization. They certainly don't think about insurance. You know, Insurance savings and insurance premiums are increasingly a line item that we spend a lot of time thinking about. You know, people put um, window film on their building primarily to reject thermal load. But for a glass window or glass building, that solar film also changes for insurance purposes the characteristics of the building from glass to masonry. And we've had projects where we've seen a 10% reduction in the insurance cost because, frankly, the probability of the event happening is lowered, and the cost of the event, should it happen, is lower. Those are the only two things that insurance care about. Um, And so if you do those things and can show your insurance company what you've done and how you've mitigated that risk and the cost of it, then you're going to see savings. And so insurance increasingly becomes another category of spend that we're impacting uh, on a regular basis. And it seems that insurance is becoming more and more of a central player in everyone's thinking, not just on your side in terms of what the costs are right now, but on a uh, resiliency side and on a long-term risk side, that they are starting to become more of a, a cost, a cost that's rising in a way that people don't expect in particular areas that might be threatened. So I, I, I think it's interesting. You know, Watch the insurance. I think that's, that's probably going to be a, a, a guideline for a lot of folks. Yeah, and, and I would just add to that, historically, we focused on the cost of insurance. You know, how much will the cost of insurance go up? Can it be passed through or not? But increasingly, the conversation is turning to this notion of, will insurance be available at all? So it's not, in South Florida, Miami, it's not just about how much will insurance rise. At some point, 
there you may lose access to certain insurance markets for certain types of risk. You know, you may not be able to get flood insurance in certain places. You've already seen that in certain coastal communities that um, insurance for flood is not available in the traditional markets. So it's either available at the federal level or a state-run program. And and the, the, the ending of insurance for certain things has been and is probably going to continue to be cataclysmic when it happens in those areas, uh, because that changes the entire perception of value in that in that market. Uh, it's, it's why I like I keep telling people, watch the insurance. I mean, you really have to pay attention to it. And what happens in addition to that is that essentially that becomes an immediate default. So if you can't insure your asset and you can't insure replacement value, um, that's almost certainly going to be a default under any type of financing. Um, this is one of the things that I think, uh, just shifting gears from a moment to the public sector, people have been looking a lot in the municipal bond market, you know, that certain risks are not being thought of correctly uh, as they should be. And so if you have certain things happen, you lose the insurance, you know, what happens to the value of the municipal bonds and basically the ability to repay, you know, the debt, whether it's public or private sector. Mm hmm now, as, as cheery as this is, I, I maybe shift just a little bit uh, <laughs> of something to consider. We could probably talk about it for a very long time. Uh, is think about those times when you have looked at, or 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 or, or clients that you know, or or colleagues that you know have looked at uh, returns and been surprised to the upside in terms of the returns on their investment. Where has it, where has it been a surprise? Well, I think people underestimate how powerful. Um, thinking about ESG and sustainability can be. Uh, and the math is really quite compelling. You know, if you do a project that's, say, a five-year payback and you leave lease structure aside, so let's just assume you invest five, you save one, and all of that accrues to the bottom line of the asset. So the EBITDA, the asset cash flow, has gone up by a dollar. At a six cap, you've created 16 dollars and 67 cents, almost $17 of value for investing five. If that project takes six months to do, you've made a three to one return, invest five, get almost 17 in less than six months. That's pretty compelling. There's not a lot of other places that you're able to generate that type of return. And now that, you know, in those dollars, once you have a capital event, once you put a cap rate on them or you sell the asset or you refi, you get all the all the capital that's been created um, comes to you right at that moment. And in likelihood, you also have now an asset that operates better, that the tenants, the occupiers, the stakeholders that go in and out of that building think is better than it was before. So the perception goes up, it operates better, it makes it, the occupants happier, and it's worth a lot more. What do you think, um, what, what, what do you think the direction is that we're going? Where um, where is real estate and sustainability going? What do you hope is going to happen um, over the next 10 years? Well, it almost doesn't matter what I hope is going to happen anymore because it's simply happening. And so one thing that's happened during COVID is that there was a big focus on health and safety. And that got people thinking about the built environment, the spaces that they occupy. But climate and sustainability didn't go away. And in fact, people started to realize that these long-term problems like climate change that they had historically dismissed because of the time frame were quite compelling. And there was, for many people, a link to pandemics and health and long-term sort of taking care of the planet. So now today, you have a situation where basically the capital markets are telling investors, you have to care about this. If you don't, your entire business model 
is likely going to fail. And so you have two types of groups. Many of them, you know, the types of people that you have as members were doing this before. They're simply doing a lot more of it. But the other groups were people who, you know, took meetings, thought about it, considered it, but didn't really do much. They are now coming back and saying, this is mission critical. This is the most important thing. Um, they're looking for strategies. They're looking for a strategy that fits their organization, but they're also looking for the tactical execution of that strategy. The, I would say today, I get at least one email a week where the gist of the email is, and if you look at the thread below, it's a reply to something that's at least a year old, sometimes two years. And it basically says, Brad, it's been great talking to you in the past. I know we haven't done much, but ESG is now mission critical. Can we have a call tomorrow, the next day? I'd like to get some people on. Because people are recognizing that this is really what smart investors do. It gets you more capital, but it also drives the value of your assets. So it's fi figuring out what voluntary commitments you can make as an organization. What should you be tracking? What should you be committing to? What are the processes and what are the sort of the, the standard operating procedures that put this into your process? Should you be doing an ESG or an energy assessment when you buy something? How should you be thinking about it when you finance it during the hold period, when you renew or roll over a tenant? Um, and today, more and more people are asking themselves and asking us, how do we develop a net zero carbon pathway? If we agree to be carbon neutral by 2050, if we agree to follow science-based targets, then what are the things we should be doing? Because we can't just say, okay, we commit to 2050 carbon neutrality and then go away until 2040 and then get serious because it's simply too much work for someone to do. So you have to figure out today, you know, 29 years out and basically say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this year after year. We're going to keep ratcheting it down uh, because if you take even a couple years off, the slope of the line that you're left with now goes from, you know, 3% a year to 4% because you just missed that first four or five years. Um, and, you know, there are some groups that are committing to 2050. Um, there are REITs, Link REIT in Hong Kong, for instance, has committed to 2035 carbon neutrality. Blackstone uh, has taken an approach where they've made a very specific announcement that everything they buy from this past October will see a 15% reduction in energy consumption within the first three years of their buying it. Um, a very strong, aggressive commitment given the size of their portfolio. But this is what you know the really good investors are doing. They're making big, audacious uh, pronouncements and commitments, and then they're following them up with action. Absolutely. And the, the, I have a feeling that this will continue for some time to come. It, it's, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't remember now the last time someone stood up and, and had to apologize for saying something about sustainability by saying something like whether or not you believe in climate change. I, I haven't heard that term um, in some time. It's like all in. Everyone's there. Um, and now all the leaders are in as well, which I think is fantastic. Um, well, believe it or not, Brad, we've run out of time. This has gone so quickly and, uh, we could talk a lot more than we, we have. Uh, but thank you, uh, so much for spending time here. I want to remind anyone who's listening, uh, to, uh, subscribe. If you haven't already to the AFIRE podcast, we're available on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. So it's pretty hard not 
to find us. Uh, so please do go online or you can go right to our website and there's information right there and you can listen in. So again, thank you, Brad, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Connor, thank you very much. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.